Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. We will be joined a little bit later by Wichita State coach Eric Wedge. Going to talk a little bit about the Shockers and their hot start to 2020 before the season was halted and then uh, look ahead to, to 2021 at Wichita State. Uh, so that that should be an intriguing uh it's an intriguing team to look at and, you know, Eric Wedge, you know, coming off of his first year as the Wichita state coach uh, coming to college ball from career in pro ball. Uh, all of that makes it a, a very interesting situation out there in Wichita. And so we're, we're going to be happy to break that down uh, with Eric Wedge here in a little bit, but before then we've uh, you know, we've got, we've got another top 25 out over at baseballamerica.com. This week we ranked summer ball team names because while summer ball is a lot about development, it's uh, it's also about having fun, and and we we had some fun with that, Joe, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, there I was uh, could not get my unmute button hit fast enough. That was the uh, for you listeners why there was the pause there. I, I could, was not managing my mute button well. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, it was almost like sometimes they say the restraints make you more creative. And it wasn't necessarily that restraints make more creative here, but the restraint was that we limited it to teams that were only playing in 2020. And so while there are some names missing that might have, that would have been in there, um, it did make it to where we had to like work a little harder to find the 25 names. And so that was kind of nice in the way, just insofar as like we were digging into leagues that we probably would not have necessarily dug into in a normal year. So that was, it was kind of nice to throw a little, uh, throw a little light on some of those good team names from the other leagues. We're looking at you, the Omaha Filth Ballers of the Corn Belt League. Um, so teams like that get a little bit of a moment in the sun on this top 25. So that was a nice little uh, unintended consequence, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it is, we are fully into summer here. Summer ball continues in many places around the country. Uh, and here in North Carolina, uh, it is it is definitely summer. It is definitely uh, you know mid to late July here. Joe, this is your first year with a, a North Carolina summer. Obviously, coming from Houston, uh, where you grew up, you're used to heat. But but North Carolina heat is uh, it is for real right now. I would say. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, it makes me feel a little bit at home because the last couple of weeks here, in particular, have have felt like the summers in Houston where you just from the moment if you if you need to go outside your house which we're in a situation now with the pandemic where we're all not going outside quite as much as we would otherwise we're not out and about as much as we would be but when you do you just you're sweaty from like the moment you get out there and you're just going to be kind of a base level of sweaty the rest of the day that's just the reality of the situation so yeah it's been tough uh some tough heat out there for sure but nothing that Nothing that, that I hadn't handled before growing up where I did, but it, it, as the kids would say, it hits different when you're 32 years old and that heat is out there, heat and humidity, versus when I was 22 years old where I was aware that it was hot and humid outside, but it really didn't slow me down much and certainly less so than when I was like 15 when like nothing can touch you. Um, so it is a little bit different in, uh, in that regard. It also shows just how easy you get soft because I lived in the Midwest for five years and now I come back to this and it feels a lot hotter because I think I got five years. And look, the Midwest, I mean, you know this well, the Midwest is not exactly a, a paradise in the idyllic 
uh, summer destination all the time too, because it does get pretty swampy in the Midwest too, but not, not anything like this for any consistent period of time. I, I've thought a lot in the summer because we, one of the places that we've been able to, uh, by we, I mean my fiance and I, we've been able to do a safe social distance, you know, activity has been at the beach. You know, it's kind of nice being uh, close to the shoreline. And so we've gone down there for day trips a couple times and it's made me think a lot about sunblock. And would you say, um, I'm, I'm posing this question to Teddy, would you say with zero being, not not a not a consideration at all whatever uh which i doubt and 10 and 10 being like um 10 being like i'm applying reapplying every hour and i have an alarm set to remind me to do so where are you on sunblock application on a day when you know like straight up i'm going to be outside for most if not all my day well there's where i should be and then there's where i am and where I should be is, you know, maybe not 10, but probably like nine, at least an eight. And then where I am probably is more like six, maybe a five, depending on like if I'm out at a showcase, you know, if I'm down in Jupiter, or, you know, if I'm, you know, wherever at, at a showcase out all day, especially if I'm in Florida, you know, I'm, I'm probably thinking about it, but I'm not reapplying more than I would say like once or twice. And, you know, I pretty much the same at, at the beach and a anything less than that. There's probably no chance that I'm applying more than once. Uh, none of that is great. Uh, but I, uh, I do burn. It is, it is something of a problem. Uh, if I, if I don't pay attention to it, uh, and, but I, I'm not, you know, if, if Dan McDonald is a 10 in terms of, uh, you know, doing a great job at, at protecting himself from, from UV rays. And, and he definitely is that, you know, that's part of why he wears the bucket hat so much. And you see him in long sleeves a lot. Uh, you know, he's doing a great job at that. I am not at that level. Uh, but I, I probably should be closer to that than where I am. I mean, that's not too bad though. Five or six, like five or six will keep you from getting the, like really bad burns where you really pay for it the next couple of days. So that's not, not too bad. I used to be, as we all are, I think it's, it's pretty much impossible until you're at least in your twenties to be any higher than like a three because you just can't be bothered when you're young. I learned that lesson really, um, really quickly. I'm fairly fair skinned, not fair skinned to where I, you know, I, I need to be, 100% conscientious about it, but you know, I, I'm on the fair side of the spectrum in, in terms of skin tone. And so I, I do need to be a little bit careful about it, but I remember in high school going to a cousin's birthday party at a water park and not applying all day. Like, I don't think I did a first application. I mean, that's just nuts. And so we were out there all day. Like I actually have a specific memory of the sun going down and we were getting in the car and it was like basically dark. We had been at this water park all day. And I remember my, my aunt, his mom kind of saying like, you like, you are burnt. And I just was like, eh, you know, you know, whatever response, you know, that, that is. But, and then I got home and it was very clear that I'd made a huge, huge mistake and it, it didn't fully sink in until after I had showered and I got, um, what they call, uh, devil's itch or hell's itch from time to time. And it's, it's this really 
strange condition that doctors can't quite explain necessarily. That the, the best explanation I've ever gotten is that it's kind of a histamine response your body has to basically having its skin burned kind of beyond what it should in a normal sun exposure event. And it's an itch that's like under your skin, so you can't satisfactorily scratch it. So like if you have a mosquito bite, you scratch it, and yes, that might make it itch worse, but you can feel the sensation of it being scratched. With this itch, you can't necessarily. Um, and so that sucks. And so I had this, and ever since then, I've been like a, I'm probably like a solid, like a solid eight. And if I'm going to be out all day, like I'm an, I'm, I am a nine. I don't think it's possible to really be a 10 because like life gets in the way, but I'm like a nine. If I'm like float trips, beach days, things like that, just because I vowed to myself, I am never going to have that again to the point where I kind of do the Dan McDonald. If I'm on like a float trip or a beach day where I'm going to be exposed most of the day, I will wear one of those UV blocking shirts, those long sleeve shirts that like fishermen use or surfers sometimes, uh, I'll just wear one of those. I can just deal with the fact that like it's a little bit warm because I'm wearing something over my, my torso. So that's the level, the level I'm at. But I just, I, I, believe it or not, now we've gone on, on this topic for a while, but believe it or not, the reason I thought about this is I was listening to another podcast the other day and they made a reference to someone they know in their life who thinks that sunblock is a scam. And I can't believe there's anyone who on this earth who thinks that. Like do, do those people just... I mean, maybe they just don't burn. There are some people who don't burn. I guess that's a possibility. I mean, I will say anything over 30, I'm skeptical of, like that it's doing that much more for well, you. Well, I think, I think that's just a fact. Like, I think that's a well-established fact at this point. They're like, the, 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 the marginal increase in how much protection you're getting above 30, per se, is, is, is just that, pretty marginal. So I think And I'll also say that if you've only experienced, like, 10 in your life, like, yeah, that is a scam. <laughs> But like 15, 30, like those are, those are real things. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I, I just wonder if these people are just walking around getting sunburned all the time. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> eh, it's just the way it goes. I just, I have, find it hard to believe. Like that seems like something that you can like empirically show actually helps. Like it's very easy to prove that that stuff works, but Hey, I don't, I don't know. I don't, don't know what that, anyway, uh, we can move on. But that was just something I've thought about. Uh, went to the beach last weekend or two weekends ago and, and therefore I'd spent some time uh, thinking about it. and certainly I'm glad that sunblock is is not a scam. Well, if you're uh, if you're out there playing summer ball, or if you're out there listening to this podcast at, at the beach on your favorite podcast uh, uh, platform device yep. app, there it is, podcasting app, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where, wherever you get podcasts, you can find the Baseball American right. Podcast, uh, and make sure you're subscribed. Leave a rating, leave a review, and also apply your sunblock. All of that. We'll see you important. next week. Oh, is that not it? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the podcast. We'll get Eric Wedge sometime later. Uh, no, we've uh, we, we've got we've got more for you here, uh, and you know, let's let's get to Eric Wedge. Like I mentioned, his Wichita State Shockers uh, were starting to become a very interesting story uh, as the season got shut down and it's unfortunate that we couldn't see that play out a little bit more. They were on a 12 game winning streak at the end of the season. They went 13 and two overall. Uh, and you know, the schedule wasn't world beating, but they had just swept Louisiana tech uh, the, the last weekend of the season. And, you know, that's a Louisiana tech team that, you know, we thought was going to be pretty good. We thought was, you know, bubble type team and, and Wichita state, you know, really was able to to get a nice sweep there uh, at, at 
at home that weekend. And you know, so I was going to be very interested to see where where it went to see how sustainable uh, that was. And, and you know, I, I don't think there was any reason to think that it wasn't going to be totally unsustainable. Obviously, they weren't going to you know continue on their 12 game winning streak in, in perpetuity. Um, you know, they weren't going 54 and two on the season, but you know, it, it, I, they have, you know, a, a nice group of talent and they, they certainly were playing very well to start the season. So, you know, unfortunate that we weren't able to, to see more of that, but I am very excited uh, to get into that uh, here with Eric Wedge, as well as just, you know, this is a guy that managed in the big leagues for 10 years, spent a few years working in Toronto's front office before he was, you know, brought back to his alma mater to, to be the head coach uh, at the end of, of last season. And it, it's just a very interesting path. He did not have college coaching experience beforehand. You know, that's a, you know, just something that, that he's had to, you know, learn on the fly. And, uh, you know, there's always some skepticism about, you know, that transition. But to this point, it seems like he has done a very good job of making it and, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But, it, you know, I find Wichita State right now to be a very interesting team, you know, both because of who their coach is and, and how he's doing it, but also because of what they showed us on the field in 2020 and what they can show us in 2021. So let's get to, uh, let's get to Eric Wedge and, and talk some more about the Shockers. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're very excited to be joined by Wichita State coach Eric Wedge. Coach, it's uh, it's an interesting time. It was an interesting first year on the job for you, I'm sure. But you know, how are you, you know, managing this uh, this unique summer that that we're all uh, dealing with now? Well, as you mentioned, it's it's different. It's unique. It's it's hard for everybody. Uh, but we're just trying to make you know the best use of our time. Um, you know, more video work uh, than we've ever had, um, you know, watching players and, you know, whether it be players that we have here and, you know, trying to help them or, or you know, potentially incoming players. So, um, but ultimately it's just a hurry up and wait, you know, trying to figure out when they're going to open things back up, um, you know, trying to figure out what this fall is going to look like uh, and ultimately preparing for next spring. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's different for me. It's different for everybody. It's not what I envisioned happening here this first year. But uh, it's not just about baseball. It's you know the world's different. So uh, we just have to roll with it and you know and just uh, do the best we can. You recently you know finished your first full year on the job. Obviously, that's a strange way to have a play out with the truncated season. But what did you learn in that year uh, about the Shockers or, or about coaching? Just overall, what did you learn in this last year? Well, I'm, I'm surrounded by a great coaching staff, you know, and, and most of whom have a lot of experience. So just, uh, you know, the day-to-day -day interaction, going through the process, you know, being a part of the NCAA and obviously Wichita State University here and um, uh, just the overall communication is just key. Uh, understanding, you know, the differences between professional baseball and college baseball, um, you know, whether it be rules or just the, the daily interaction. Um, you know, at uh, Wichita State, it's a fantastic university. It's really grown and come a long way, you know, in the 30 years that I've been gone. Uh, so um, just reacclimate myself to the university, uh, to college baseball um, and, and young people. 
you know, that's, that's the biggest reason I'm here is just, you know, the opportunity to develop young people both on and off the field. What would you say you enjoyed most about the experience? Obviously, you've alluded to it's just a, it's a very different situation than coaching and pro ball. Uh, you know, you've got limits on how often you can see the kids and how you can, you know, uh, how that time needs to be spent, things like that. So what did you enjoy most about it being back in the college game after having been away from it as long as you had? Well, because again, you know, the student athletes, I mean, that's the, you know, the interaction with them and getting to know them and their families and, um, and potentially having an impact on their lives. Uh, uh, I love coming to the office each and every day. Uh, a lot of that has to do with my coaches and, uh, you know, we're very different, have different backgrounds, but we're aligned with our values. So, uh, you know, our, our relationships have continued to grow uh, and uh, the same in tune with, with the players. Uh, just, you know, establishing those relationships and helping them understand, you know, what they can expect from us and what we expect from them. And, and uh, you know, that started from day one just for us, just by us changing the mindset here. And that you know, was the first uh, of many steps, uh, you know, that we did here uh, last fall. The, your team was 13-2 and two on a 12-game winning streak when, when the season was halted. What was it that was clicking uh, for the guys so early in the season? Well, I, I think that, you know, our student athletes did a great job of you know, buying into uh, what we were looking for. And I told them from day one that you just can't change the culture by, you know, telling them what you want them to do or what it looks like. You know, they have to ultimately do it themselves. And that takes time. Sometimes it takes years. Uh, but, you know, I think as we worked through each and every day of the fall, it became a little bit more clear what we were looking for. You know, the accountability, uh, their responsibility to each other, to their university, to their families, um, you know, and just what our idea of hard work is here. And, um, you know, once we were able to peck away at that each and every day, uh, by the time we got to the end of the fall, before we had to shut it down, um, they had come so far, you know, I was so proud of them. They'd come so far and they were able to pick that up in the, you know, after the first of the year and when we came back to school and they were able to lead that into their spring. Obviously it was just an extremely small sample size with the games you did get to play in 2020, but I'm curious through your eyes, if there was a point in the season where you really saw growth from game to game that you can point to as a moment back that you're going to remember and take with you into next season as maybe a teaching moment or a point where a corner was turned for the team. I don't think there was one decisive moment. I think that that each and every day, each and every game, there were, you know, there were learning points and things that we could take, you know, into the next game or the next practice or whatever it may be. Um, I think the overall body of work, albeit small, uh, was pretty consistent. Um, Understanding that, uh, you know, we're going to be very consistent with our actions, with our emotions. um, And we're also going to be very consistent with our expectations of how they go about their business. So, uh, there'll be a lot of that and more, you know, coming this fall when they come back. You've talked about wanting to change the culture and, you know, bring Wichita State back to the levels, I guess, the, of success that it's had historically. And, and you've certainly been a part of that, that history there. What, what about Wichita State, uh, you know, in its tradition, do, do you want to, you know, bring these guys back to you? I, I guess, what, what did Gene Stevenson, you know, teach you that you're trying to now teach them? Well, I mean, you know, Gene was obviously unbelievable here, and I learned a great deal from him as well as 
um, you know, Brent Kennett's, Lauren Hibbs, and of course, Lauren Hibbs is part of my staff now. So, uh, and, and others as well. But ultimately, it's for for us. It's about learning and toughness. You know, those are the those are the two things that lead the way for us. Uh, and we're about player development, both on and off the field. And you know, sometimes you know the toughness comes ahead of the learning uh, because you've got to have that type of mental toughness uh, to be a consistent baseball player, um, to be to be real good when things are not real good. And uh, to have that type of mindset that allows you to, to be the best that you can be over the course of the full season. So um, you know, I'm a big believer in being firm, fair, and consistent. And uh, I expect them to do the same. I'm curious if you agree with me that the, the story of Wichita State baseball, when you go back to the beginning of it under Gene Stevenson, is a story that's undertold because in hindsight, it seems borderline miraculous what he was able to do starting from, you know, mm-hmm. literally nothing on a, whatever it was, thousand dollars a month or <laughs> whatever it was. And then building, right. building a program that won a national title, went to Omaha all the time. Um, I, I, I'm curious if you, like I said, you feel like I do that not enough is made of just what he created there and how amazing that is. Oh, I agree. I mean, I mean, Gene is uh, one of the greatest college baseball coaches of all time and always will be. And what he built here, uh, and the level of, you know, credibility that he established here, uh, will will go on forever. And um, you know, he's a obviously a mentor of mine. He's a personal friend. And um, you know, when you think about Wichita State, uh, you know, uh, you know, you think about you know Wichita State baseball, and of course, basketball programs, you know, have been thriving here under under Greg Marshall too. So, uh, and you know, just to have the opportunity to come back here and uh, reestablish uh, a program that we want to be one of the best in the country, you know, that's exciting to me. And ultimately, uh, you know, what Gene did here, uh, you know, for this university, for uh, obviously the program, but even the city of Wichita, um, is something that uh, I think everybody should recognize. It's clear that Wichita State is a special place to you. What makes it that way, and I get, and what do you kind of sell it as uh, to to recruits when, when you're talking about why they should come to to play it to the Shockers? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's always about the people. You know, we've got a fantastic um, athletic program here. Um, you know, and Darren Boatwright, who brought me in here, uh, is gives us all the support that we could ask for, and, uh, as does the university, uh, the city of Wichita. Is, is growing and, and you know, it's, it's a, it's a decent size, but it's not too big. And I would say the same thing about the university, you know, it's uh, you got the big, big field type of campus, but it's, it's not too big where you get lost in the shuffle. So, um, but ultimately when it comes to our program, it's about, uh, you know, what our coaching staff brings to the table and understanding, you know, what's most important to us. And that's, that's, uh, that's the, the development of our young people, you know, making sure that they, can be the best version of themselves both on and off the field and making sure that, you know, we give them the tools to do that. Um, and uh, if, if that is what we're doing, which it is, then, you know, then the baseball portion of it will take care of itself, uh, you know. And uh, <clears throat> we talk to these young people. We're very transparent with them. Um, you know, they understand what they're going to expect and their parents are going to understand that as well. Uh, when they come in here, it's, it's the road less traveled. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we want that to be a part of their DNA. 
You know, they come here for three or four years. We want Wichita State University to be a part of their DNA for the rest of their life. One of the things that the program really has going for it is the, the illustrious list of alumni, you know, yourself included, the guys that have come through that program, whether or not they went on to do things in, in pro baseball or in coaching or what have you. Um, but I'm curious how big a part that legacy is in, in your program building. And, and I, know, I know I'm sure that some of the guys you played with there have reached out to you and have maybe been a part of things. I mean, mm -hmm. how big is that piece in terms of making that and that legacy a part of your program and building it moving forward? Well, it's, it's one of the biggest parts. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, you just look at our coaching staff. I mean, Mike Pelfrey, the pitcher coach, he was an All-American here. He's from Wichita, pitched 12 years in the big leagues. Uh, Lauren Hibbs, you know, he played here. He was an assistant coach here. Of course, he went on to UNC Charlotte, as you know, and coached there for 27 years. And now he's back as, you know, one of the assistants. And, and Mike Sirianni, one of our other coaches, you know, was a volunteer here, you know, for a couple of years. And uh, so uh, it's been real exciting to see the buzz, you know, with the city, but ultimately um, from, you know, players and, you know, that have played here in the past and, you know, with what we're trying to do here and, you know, and, and trying to uh, reestablish this program. So, uh, and it's been a lot of fun to be a part of it. It's, it's humbling. And uh, uh, so we encourage all of our alumni to come back uh, at any point in time. It doesn't have to be an event. We want them to come and see our facility, which is one of the tops in the country and, you know, talk to our kids and be around our coaching staff because uh, the more you can bring back alumni, and, you know, the better idea our young people that are here now have in regard to what we're looking for here. You played uh, professionally. You managed in the minors. You managed in the big leagues. You were on TV uh, talking about baseball. You worked in front offices. Now you're a college coach. Clearly, you're a lifer in the game. At what point mm -hmm. did you realize you were going to be a baseball lifer? And, and is that what you set out to do? Well, I, I knew from an early age I was most – people do when we get into this that I wanted to, you know, play major league baseball. And I was fortunate to have that dream come true. And, um, and then when I got into my career as a player and started getting banged up and had a lot of injuries, you know, I started thinking about, you know, managing or coaching. Um, and then when I had to shut it down early, I was 29 when I just shut it down. Um, you know, I just transitioned right into managing the minor leagues and was fortunate for with Mark Shapiro and the Cleveland Indians to give me a chance to manage the minor leagues there for five years. And, and then ultimately end up managing in Cleveland for seven years and Seattle for three. So, uh, and then my you know experience with the Toronto Blue Jays the you know past three or four years in player development was a great lead into this job. And uh, I've always had a passion for Wichita State, for the city of Wichita, uh, and obviously this baseball program. So, when the opportunity presented itself, it was something I was excited to uh, uh, to go through with, and uh, I'm really happy to be here. Major League Baseball is about to embark on uh, a 60-game season, which is, you know, roughly the size of a college season. And you're in a position where you've had to think a little bit about this, where, you know, you had seasons where you were managing 162 games, and then you transitioned to a job where you're thinking about managing 60 games. And it's a little uh -huh. different, obviously. Major Leagues are still going to be playing basically seven days a week. College is three or four times a week, but I'm curious what advice you might have for big league managers who are now in a position where they're trying to get the best out of guys for 60 games as opposed to 162. 
given your position of having to think about that kind of thing, what advice you might give to some of your brethren in the big leagues? Well, as you said, I still have a small sample size myself, but, uh, uh, but ultimately I know just from talking to my other coaches and, and, uh, and just feeling what I felt even those for 15 games, um, you know, it's a fine line having a, a, a little bit greater sense of urgency, but still being cool. You know, I think that's the line you have to walk. And, um, you know that each and every game is a little bit more important uh, just because it's a shorter season, fewer games. And, but ultimately, you got to make sure that uh, you handle it with, you know, you know, with a sense of calm uh, and a sense of consistent but, but with conviction. So I think that if you can get to that place mentally as a leader, I think you got your best opportunity to succeed. We're excited to get the big leagues back this week. Obviously, uh, I'm sure everyone in baseball is, is excited to have that back. What What are you looking forward to about this uh, this shortened big league sprint to the finish? Well, I think it's going to be interesting just how organizations and managers and you know handle everything, and uh, you know kind of per what the previous question was. So, but I'm excited to watch baseball. You know, even with this, you know, we're in this dead period right now from a college standpoint, so you can't really do anything. So. I'm excited to turn TV on and watch these guys compete. And, you know, obviously a lot of people that I'm very friendly with at the big league level and uh, have, to have the opportunity to watch them go out there and, you know, have arguably a special season this year, you know, being only two months long, it's going to be interesting to see just how uh, organizations and managers uh, handle their ball clubs. You mentioned up top that, you know, there's still a lot to be, there's still a lot of unknowns out there about what is going to come of, the fall season and, and, and seeing what, what comes of next spring. But let's, let's just fast forward a little bit and, and assume we get there as normal. What kind of things are you looking forward to when you get back with your team um, and, and as we get closer to the 2021 season? I'm looking forward to, to, to continue the progression, get back on that path that we were on last spring and, and at the end of last fall, uh, you know, getting everybody back together. Uh, you know, we got cut short last spring and, you know, we still had a lot of work ahead of us. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, days that were going to be difficult, but a good ones too. Uh, you know, you learn from both. So, um, you know, we're just getting this thing started here. And uh, so, you know, we got a lot of work ahead of us. But I just want to get back on that path and, you know, keep getting in front of these, these young people each and every day and, you know, helping them continue to progress. Well, I wish we could have seen more from, from the Shockers. I know I was starting to get pretty excited after that sweep of Louisiana Tech on what proved to be the last weekend, and you had some big games ahead of you. So I, I'm going to be very interested to see what the Shockers look like in 2021, uh, just when everyone's able to get back out on the field. Yeah, well, I think we're all excited for that. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, <clears throat> the world's a different place right now, and you got to make sure we take care of each other. But, uh, but ultimately, you know, Hopefully, we have an opportunity to to progress this fall and go out there and compete and teach and get better and take that into the spring and see what happens. So, um, I think anything, anything you do is it's an opportunity. So, we're trying to treat this as an opportunity to get better, just just doing it in a little bit different fashion. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the Baseball America College podcast today. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you again to Wichita State coach Eric Wedge for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. 
Uh, Joe, that's, uh, you know, like I said, Wichita State right now, a very interesting team. Uh, I don't know when you kind of woke up to the idea that Wichita State was a team that we needed to be paying attention to this spring. But for me, it was, you know, it was just happening uh, around the, the time of the shutdown. I, I think I knew that they, you know, had a really nice record going into that Louisiana Tech weekend. And I was, you know, very much like, all right, I want to see what happens this weekend. Like that'll that'll be some more useful data and they come out with a sweep and then I didn't really have any time to synthesize that data or, or look ahead because of what the next week became. But it was, you know, they, they had gone on my radar and I was, I was interested to see where they could go. And it was a, a very impressive start to the season considering that the year before had, had not gone well for Wichita state at all. Yeah, it was definitely late in the game for me as well. I'll admit it was one of those deals where, I saw that Northwestern State series coming up over opening weekend. And it, of course, was understandably well down the, the list of, 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 of things we were watching for on opening weekend. But it was I kind of made a little mental note of that. And actually, mostly from the Northwestern State side. I mean, I wrote about that Northwestern State team um, late in this. I think it was actually the last thing I actually wrote was that week's three strikes. I wrote about Logan Hoffman, uh, who's now drafted for baseball. Um, but I, and more largely about the Northwestern State team because I, I don't have their schedule in front of me. But I feel like they they kind of had a similar situation where they, you know, they had the series against Wichita State and they kind of maybe uh, went into the shadows a little bit and were playing better as time had had gone on. They had a similar trajectory there. But with with Wichita State, I kind of saw that series lost to Northwestern State and thought, well, that seems about right to me because I, I thought Northwestern State had a chance to be the, the Southland's auto bid. Or if the Southland had a really good year, maybe they could be in an at-large mix. Who knows? And kind of just filed that away. And then I actually – it was after the season had been called. I'll be honest. You were probably more on it than I was after that sweep of Louisiana Tech. And maybe you and I had a conversation about it, so maybe that's how it came onto my radar. But I think it was actually after – you know, afterwards, just kind of looking back on everything and realizing that they had played as well as they had. And I don't, I don't know what would have come of it. None of us do, I guess. Uh, so – I'm not sure what the end result would have been there. I'd have a hard time predicting it being a postseason run. However, I am extremely confident in saying this team was much better. Just the, the overall quality, just the, the, how solid the team was. Uh, I think it's safe to say that it was an improved team. and Whether or not that ends up in getting further along, i.e. a postseason berth, remains to be seen. But, but I'm pretty confident what we were seeing was real just what the upshot of that was is the piece that's left out. And we're just going to, we're, we're going to have to wonder that forever because even a team coming back in 2021, the circumstances are obviously just different. So we'll never really get to know there. And, uh, and you're right. That is one of the, I feel like you and I've had this conversation about a hundred different times about like, it's one of the great unknowns of the college season. It's, it's kind of amazing how that works. We just left with so many unanswered questions that we would have gotten answers to. And that's obviously endlessly disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's uh, it's not an easy place, I think, to get off to a hot start schedule or not, because you know it's pretty cold in Wichita at the start of the season. I, I know Joe, you and I were both at one point like dragged into JJ's office because he had a Wichita State game up on his TV because it was like the only thing on ESPN Plus at the time or something. And he was just showing us how everyone in the stands, and it was not that many people because it was like a Tuesday, 
uh, and it was freezing, but how they were all bundled up, you know, so tightly, uh, you know, it, but that's, that's the reality of playing baseball at that time of the, the year in, in Wichita. So, you know, to get off to that start, you know, I, I think it was, it was impressive. It was, it was definitely loud considering, you know, you've gone through coaching change and, you know, just how much of an improvement it had been on, on the year before. So, you know, all of that, you know, definitely, you know, is, is important to, to note as, as we look at what Wichita State is, uh, at, you know, in 2020 and, and going into 2021. Now, Joe, you talked with, with Wedge a year ago for a story for the magazine. Um, you know, how much, you know, of what he told you back last fall are you hearing, you know, him continue to talk about now or, or you know, came to fruition in, in some way uh, in, in the abbreviated season that, that we did get? Yeah, it's, it's the same message, which is not, uh, that's not a bad thing. I think that that consistency there is a big part of, of what he's trying to do. And it, and it shows, I mean, there were a lot of the answers he gave with us today were a lot of the, the same themes that he and I talked about a year ago. And you know, I think if you're a member of the Wichita State faithful, that gives you a lot of confidence in, in him continuing to, to move forward and, and progress this program forward and, and to have 2020 be just kind of the start of, of what's to come. And, you know, what we didn't get into today um, that I did talk to him about a little bit for that magazine piece was just the whole idea of, I mean, I guess we touched on it a little bit today, but not in the same depth where, you know, talking about Wichita State's place in the college baseball hierarchy more, more broadly, because it is a, one of the biggest names in college baseball history in terms of program. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, if you were to put together whatever that list is, top 20, 25 programs in the modern history of college baseball, it's probably as down as any program on that list right now. And um, there's a lot of reasons, there's a lot of reasons to believe that it could never be what it was in the 70s and 80s and even throughout the 90s and early 2000s. But at the same time, there's a lot of reasons to believe that they could get back to something like that. Now, the dominance of the 70s and 80s, that was just a really different time in college baseball. We've talked about that in reference to USC. We've talked about that in reference to Arizona State. We've talked about that in reference to a number of different programs. So that's not changing. Um, But I think it's important to remember that their status as a historical program still has a lot of reach and is still very helpful. Now the players growing up today do not remember Wichita State at its peak under Gene Stevenson. However, if they are from the area or if they're from somewhere in Oklahoma, uh, you know, which Gene Stevenson has roots in Oklahoma, um, you know, has ties to that program. Uh, He was someone people knew in baseball circles in Oklahoma, but if they're from the area, the parents are certainly going to know quite a bit about it if they're baseball people and Wichita State baseball. And he alluded to this a little bit in the interview, Wichita State baseball as much as, you know, really I would put it on par with a lot of these SEC programs in terms of baseball mattering, not just within the, the realm of the athletic department, because Wichita State is more of a baseball school. Now, basketball obviously has surpassed it in a lot of ways in recent years, but it is as much of a, a baseball school as those SEC schools are baseball schools. But also locally, you know, you look at their schedule, and one thing you'll notice right away is that Wichita State has a local TV deal for their home games. Now, if that gets superseded by an ESPN game or what have you, that's obviously going to happen. But their home games are on local TV in Wichita. 
And so the community cares about this baseball program. And, you know, that day when we were in JJ's office, like, yes, it was freezing and it was a Tuesday afternoon. I get it. But if that program was really humming, there would have been a thousand people in the stands, if not more. Uh, when the program is good, they really, really care. And that is still true today. And will it take some time to get back to the point where they're selling out X stadium, which is this really humongous stadium. It's like a 10,000 states. Oh, it is. It grew fast and it grew huge and it is now far bigger than that program needs. But the reason why it's that big is because when that program is its peak, they could fill the place. And you can't say that about very many programs outside of the sec footprint and Wichita state is one of them. And I believe that program still exists in there. There is latent in there somewhere is that program. Now, is that a national title winning program? I don't know. Is it a consistent regional program that the community can be proud of? They could win a whole bunch of games. Absolutely. And, you know, what they showed in 2020, I think, was a good step in that direction. And we'll have to see where it goes from here. But the themes that we talked about today with Eric Wedge were the exact same things we talked about in the fall when I talked to him last year. And I think that bodes well for continued progression for this program because we saw the fruits of of what he was selling already. Yeah, so the discussion of – what is Wichita State's current ceiling is a very interesting one. I think I'm a little lower on it than you are. I just think that they're competing in a conference that it's going to be very difficult for them to, you know, be that kind of program in. Pie in the sky dreams, like, yeah, they're, they're all still there. They're, the, the community really cares. It's a, you know, big time stadium. They have you know, full university support. They they have a lot of things going for it, but they are also, you know, now playing in the American, which in some ways is better for them than playing in the Valley because it's a bigger conference. Uh, it'll help your RPI more. But in some ways also probably is worse for them because instead of being one of the big fish, you know, there with DBU and Missouri State, and I guess Illinois State to an extent, uh, you're now, you know, up there competing against schools in Florida and Houston and New Orleans and the Carolinas, you know, so you, you have to be without the benefits of, of being able to recruit in state in Texas and Florida or North Carolina, you have to find a way to compete with ECU, UCF and Houston and USF and Tulane, you know, so it's, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy, but the American as a conference, as we've talked about many times on on the show is very good at baseball and Wichita state's a part of that. And, you know, where they find their footing in the American, I mean, no one has found their footing in the American, frankly, with the possible exception of ECU, you know, everyone is kind of jumbled in there every year. And, you know, so I, Wichita State probably can get to be one of those teams jumbled in there, you know, in relatively short order. And then I'll, I'm going to be interested to see how that conference sorts itself out, you know, over the next few years. You feel like Tulane is starting to find its stride a little more. East Carolina has certainly established itself as is perhaps the best team. And, you know, UCF had a great start to, to 2020 as well. And you know, has a lot of building advantages. And I really believe in what Greg Lovelady can do for a program. And, uh, you know, Houston certainly has the pedigree. So I, 
can some of those teams separate themselves from some of the other teams or is the American destined to be jumbled? And I don't know which would be better for Wichita State, uh, but it, it's, it's in a really competitive conference. And, you know, so it, it has to rise to a certain level. And once you're at that level, you know, yeah, I mean, that, those are all regional caliber teams on an annual basis. I just don't know how easy it's going to be to climb over some of these teams to reach that level. Yeah, I mean, the last point's a really good one. And it's a, I wrote a story on the American uh, at large a couple months ago now, I guess. And that was kind of the moral of the story a little bit with the American is that outside of ECU, I would argue, you know, ECU, and, and you said so there, but that ECU has kind of established itself. So, okay, you said ECU aside. And then everyone else in the conference, you can kind of summarize it with, with just a couple of exceptions. You can summarize everyone else in the conferences like, a lot of potential there, a lot of talent, just not as consistent as you would like them to be. And so I think that suggests that if you're Wichita State and you're a team that, you know, would go 9-15 and 15 in the 24-game conference schedule, uh, you know, assuming we're talking about years with normal conference schedules, which is like a caveat we're going to have to throw on everything from now until the spring. But going from 9-15 and 15 to, you know, 13-11, uh, and 14-10, and 10, um, which won't guarantee you anything, but will get you a heck of a lot closer to the postseason and will at least put you into the discussion, um, isn't so big of a leap that I don't think it can be done. And so um, I think you and I actually kind of agree on the core sentiment here. Um, I probably am a little bit higher um, th- than you are just in the, the long-term prognosis here. But, but I think on, on this we agree that the American is not so set in stone and so codified that a team can't just get a little bit better on the margins and all of a sudden look up and say, hey, here they are kind of in the, in the mix here. And I think Wichita State still can be that. Yeah, I would definitely say that's true. I would say Wichita State getting to a regional within the next few years is, you know, not only wholly possible, but probably the expect, you know, not only their expectation, that's certainly true. But like, I would say that I would expect to see them in a regional within the next couple of years. And you know, that's significant on its own. It's more just, okay, where do you go from there now? And I'm highly skeptical that, you know, where you go from there is Omaha, Um, you know, just basically because no team from the American has figured that out yet. And, you know, Houston and ECU and and, and UCF are are operating with, you know, some building advantages that Wichita doesn't have. Now, Wichita has some advantages that those other schools don't, Um, maybe with the exception of ECU, the, the the care factor at ECU is quite high um, for baseball. So, you know, I, that's a, it's a difficult balancing act and you can't expect to rebuild the program to Omaha caliber overnight anyway. So it's more about like, where is Wichita state five years from now? Where's Wichita state 10 years from now? Then does Wichita state go to the 2022 college world series? Cause the answer to that is almost certainly no. But where where are they in 2025? Where are they in 2030? You know, that's going to be interesting to see. And it's frankly going to be interesting to see, you know, as long as we're talking about like 2030, what does, you know, even setting aside the current, you know, very serious financial questions that college sports is facing right now, even if we can just move past those, you know, what does the landscape look like in 2030? You know, what does realignment happen? Does realignment happen in the middle of the, the, the decade here? Um, you know, Wichita State doesn't play football. What does that mean going forward? 
you know, that these schools that don't play football, where is their, their space in the landscape? Um, you know, there are a lot of complicated questions here involving Wichita State, but at the core right now for baseball, you're, you're looking at a very committed university, a very committed athletic department, a very committed community, and a coaching staff that, you know, while green in the college game, has a lot of experience in coaching and in baseball, and, you know, certainly has something to sell to kids about what they can do for them developmental wise and, and how, how well they know what it takes to get to the big leagues. Uh, you know, Mike Pelfrey is your pitching coach. Like I think Mike Pelfrey knows what it takes to pitch in the big leagues. Eric Wedge certainly knows what it takes to play in the big leagues. So, you know, th- these are, these are huge benefits when you go out and when you recruit and, and, and when you're developing players. So you know, that, that's a, that, there are a lot of things going for Wichita state uh, I'm just curious about whether some of the larger forces in college athletics will trip them up. Yeah, I mean, very well, very well could be. Um, boy, is that a, a big picture question that, you know, we, we don't have any answers to <laughs> right away, but is an interesting thing to explore. Because I, as you were talking, I kind of thought of a few different ways I could, I could jump in and speculate, but actually I'm just going to save all that because, A, that might just make for interesting fodder if, if you and I get to, get to a point where that's the type of thing we're talking about. But also just because, you know, there's, you don't want to put stuff out into the universe necessarily just taking wild guesses at stuff that's um, this hard to uh, predict. But I, so I'll, I'll put a point on my part of this discussion by saying that, uh, you know, to what you were suggesting about the situation they're in is that, uh, you know, Wichita State's got a pretty good hand right now. And it's certainly a hand they want to play versus a hand they're looking to fold. Uh, I think they're in a pretty strong position moving forward, at least in the near future. Yeah. And, you know, let's also not forget that, you know, Todd Butler recruited really well to Wichita State. They just weren't able to convert that into as many wins as they would like. You know, but Alec Bohm and Grayson Genesta, um, you know, were both top 40 picks, top 50 picks, whatever, wherever Genesta went, Alec Bohm was a top five pick. Uh, you know, so if you could just get a couple of those and, you know, sprinkle whatever magic dust they were sprinkling on the team uh, in 2020, although I'll note that, um, you know, one of those Butler teams with Bohm and Genesta also got off to an incredible start before hitting a wall uh, in American play. Um, but, it, you know, it can be done. And I'm not even pointing to Gene Stevenson teams as an example of like, oh, you can get talent to Wichita State. Like I, they did it very recently. And it wasn't also like it's important to note that that wasn't a case where Bohm and Genesta were wholly off the radar and they just developed them really well there. Like, no, that recruiting class got ranked 25th on the strength of Bohm and Genesta and a couple other players uh, that, that came in with draft credentials and uh, who were guys in high school. So, you know, it, it, it can be done. You, you can bring in top flight talent to Wichita. Uh, you know, Todd Butler was doing it. They just weren't quite converting as many wins as, as the, the talent uh, might have indicated and, and certainly the Wichita State people wanted. Yeah, and that's supposed to be the hard – I mean, that's – anytime you, just, you, you get into a discussion about Wichita State ceiling, I mean, that's – that's always considered kind of the hard part, right? Is that getting, getting kids to go to choose unless they're, they're local and they've always wanted to play for the shockers. And there is some of that, but, but getting the kids who played in a place like high school ball in a place like, like Texas or anywhere else in the deep South, 
um, to come up to Wichita State um, or for the really elite kids in the, in the Midwest and in the Plains to stay closer to home uh, is always kind of supposed to be the hard part. But they, they had some of that. And it just, like you said, they weren't able to convert it into as many wins as they would have liked. And um, so, yeah, I think that probably bodes well as well. I mean, you don't have to go that far back to find a blueprint for at least getting you, you know, most of the way to where you're looking to go. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's uh, a story we're going to be watching both this year and, and well into the future. Like, like I mentioned there, the, the whole setup at Wichita State right now is, is very interesting, as is the American uh, as a whole. But, you know, Wichita State, if you didn't quite catch on to how, you know, what kind of run they were on as the season shut down, you know, certainly understandable. Uh, but it, it is uh, – it was notable – and it's definitely something to watch as uh, as we look ahead to the the 2021 season, uh, you know, next spring. Um, you know, Joe and I also wanted to hit on a little, we were talking about recruiting there. We wanted to touch on what recruiting looks like a little bit, you know, this summer. It's uh, it, it, it's different this year, right? Because you know they're they're in a recruiting dead period, which means that they cannot you know, go out uh, on the road and, and they can't have in, in-person contact with recruits. So that, that's kind of turned the entire college baseball recruiting world into a virtual recruiting world, uh, which I wrote about over at BaseballAmerica.com last week. I, I, I had, I, you know, I dug pretty deep into, into it and kind of enjoyed taking that dive into what what coaches and what players are, are going through this year because, you know, in a world where coaches can't go out and see kids play live and kids can't take campus visits, campuses are closed and facilities are closed more, more importantly than the campus. Um, you know, then it, it's a, uh, it's an entirely different process. Everyone's kind of just trying to make the best of it right now. And, uh, but, but it's, it's certainly not ideal. What, what the, what the recruiting process uh, looks like this year. So I, I enjoyed uh, digging through that. Hopefully, if you read it, you enjoyed it. And, and if not, I would, I would encourage you to, to check that out over at baseballamerica.com. Joe, as you were reading through it, did, did any of it, anything in particular stand out to you uh, about the process this year? Yeah, I was heartened to find, and not that I don't, um, empathize with what coaches are having to deal with. You would always prefer to be able to go to live events and to talk to these kids face-to-face and to talk to the, the families face-to-face and, and all of that. Um, so I, I don't, I really truly do not want to minimize that. However, I was heartened to see how many, how many coaches you talked to that really kind of had, and look, coaches are tend to be glass half full, positive thinkers and always just kind of looking forward, not looking back kind of folks. So I, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised for this, but the extent to which they were just kind of like, um, and you know, you had enough people anonymous there that they could have said pretty much anything, I suppose. And, um, but how many of them were really pretty positive about the way things have gone while understanding it's not, it isn't ideal. Um, but how many of them were really acknowledging that, look, we can do a lot of this evaluation remotely. Um, we can't really, you can't really get into makeup as much as you would like, because that's really what you get with the face to face and, 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 all, and live, not, not just face-to-face literally talking to him, but the live looks at, you know, body language on the field, body language in the dugout, body language in the bullpen, that kind of stuff. Um, but there are just a lot of elements they can get into. I mean, obviously, they've never had more data at their fingertips, and that was a part of what you wrote about is just that 
you know, can you imagine my goodness, 10 years ago, this would have been a lot harder, uh, 15, 20 years ago, certainly. Um, would now you've got, you've got so much data at your fingertips that you can at least get a good feel for some of these guys. And, and let's be honest that one of your coaches you had in there quoted that, you know, most of the guys we're talking to now or that we're making offers to now or that we're bringing on board now are guys we were already pretty comfortable with. And of course I'm paraphrasing, but guys we're pretty comfortable with, guys we know well. Um, another coach admitted they have some offers out to guys they hadn't really uh, seen in person or talked to in person, but they know these kids, the upper class kids, like they know them. There's not a lot really necessarily of mystery there, but at the same time, understanding a couple of things. One, that uh, with underclassmen, it's going to be a little more of a crapshoot. You had a coach quoted there saying that, you know, the decommits for the 23s and 24s are going to be off the charts. And that seems to make sense to me. I also think that, you know, I think it's inevitable that if we continue on this path, um, as far as recruiting goes for, for, much longer, we're also going to have uh, a lot of transfers eventually. Uh, maybe not a huge spike necessarily, but I think you're going to end up with a lot of kids committing but to, to maybe a local program because of uncertainty and they weren't able to really get to campus visits. So they stick a little more local, then realize that, hey, there's actually a better opportunity out there. Or maybe those kids that were about to break out that maybe would have gotten a later, later offer from a big name program kind of has to settle for the, the programs that were on him early and they end up maybe transferring up or maybe the opposite. Right. Um, so I think that is just kind of inevitable. And I also, I also really enjoyed the one, the one quote where a coach said, I think we're all watching the same live streams, which comes from the fact that look, not all these events are live streamed and even within an event, not all the individual games are live streamed. And so I think what'll be interesting about that and what I'd be interested to know down the line is just how many of these kids end up maybe getting a little overexposed. Like if a kid blows up on a live stream event, everybody's going to know about it. And at the same time, the inevitable other shoe dropping there is there are going to be a good number of kids that are underexposed just because there's no more kind of beating the bushes out of the backfields and finding that diamond in the rough. If his game's not live streamed, unless you've already got some good intel on him, you're not going to know about him. So uh, really fascinating story. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but like I said at the beginning, I was – I was heartened to see that coaches had a good attitude about this and weren't necessarily suggesting that this was going to be some sort of Armageddon situation for their recruiting classes or recruiting in general, because I think it would be easy to have kind of a woe is me approach to trying to do your job in a pandemic and with the limitations they have. Yeah, I would say that there is a lot of frustration about the realities of the situation that, you know, they are, very frustrated that they can't go and watch games. They are all very understanding of why that is. Uh, but the, the fact that they now have to go out and, you know, make decisions or delay decisions because they can't go and, and see live baseball is, uh, it is difficult for them, but, you know, they're used to adapting and you know they will adapt i i think one of the things that's keeping them as positive as they are is that if you're a big school you know if you're if you're from a power conference you uh or a major conference i should say your 21 class is set like that that's the somewhat dirty unfortunate whatever truth of college baseball recruiting is that you know the going into this summer, your, your 21 class, you, you maybe were holding one or two spots open, uh, in the event that 
you know, j- just for a late bloomer or because you were looking for a very specific thing, uh, you know, y- y- but y- you were pretty much done with 21s. If you're from a mid to low major conference, you might still be on the 21 class, but, you know, a lot of them, uh, it, it's harder for them to complain about, you know, the, the situation right now because, you know, they are the ones to paint with a broad brush that probably wouldn't be out as much this summer to begin with, you know, given the financial cutbacks that are, are taking place at a lot of places around the country that, you know, there, there was a real question when I wrote earlier this summer about the effects of the dead period being extended into the summer. There, there was a real question from mid to low major coaches about like, well, even if they took the dead period away, like, A, is my university going to let me go out because of the pandemic? And then B, is my university going to let me go out because, you know, now we have to cut budgets and one of the easiest things to do is to cut recruiting travel. Um, You know, so I I think because of how certain the 21 classes had to be or, you know, because you're pretty understanding of of why things are happening the way they're happening right now, um, I I think that that's... uh, that that's helping them somewhat because there is a lot of belief that whenever they're allowed to go back out on the road, whether that's this fall or sometime in 2021, that there will still be good players available. And honestly, that's going to be true for the 2021 class, though they are the the uncommitted 2021s are the ones getting hurt by this the absolute most. Uh, but that'll be definitely definitely still be true of 22s and 23s and 24s, obviously. So, you know that that's uh. I think that's helping them put on a bit braver of a face right now or, or a bit happier of a face, you know, finding the silver linings. I think some people are also interested or, you know, enjoying is the wrong word, but they're welcoming the opportunity to kind of revamp some of their practices. I talked to one coach that was talking about how you know, they use Rapsodo and Blast and TrackMan and everything on a daily basis in their program. And if you, you know, come to a camp, you know, with them, you know, they, they have that data, but they didn't really do a good, very good job of collecting that data on anyone that they didn't bring to campus. Um, and, you know, the, the, the coach told me you know, the reason why we did that was dumb. Like it was just dumb that we weren't doing that. And now we're doing that, and that's going to be beneficial to us going forward. They think so. You know that that I think that's uh, that that is a, a potential silver lining for a lot of folks is that they can. This is a time to reevaluate, and maybe you can find a way to do things more efficiently, to do things better, just find a better process. Uh, the other thing that I would I would mention here is that. I'm very interested in how this changes recruiting going forward. Uh, you know, both from that, you know, just initial, like, are you, are coaches going to become more dependent on data? Are players going to become more forthcoming with data? You know, there are a lot of kids this summer that, you know, realize they need to use a blast sensor or they need to get in front of Rapsodo so that they can give that data to coaches because without a live evaluation, that data becomes even more valuable. Um, you know, how does that continue going forward? And what does that do? You know, 
that stuff isn't cheap necessarily. So what does access to that look like? Much in the same way, what does access to live streaming look like this year? Because not every game is live streamed. So if you're not on live stream, like what did that mean for you? And if you are on live stream, like Joe, you were mentioning like gain overexposed, uh, you know, is that, is that happening? You know, all the rest of that. But the, the other thing going forward is right now in college baseball, there's still a gentleman's agreement among coaches that if a player verbally commits, you are supposed to stop recruiting that player. And that might, to somebody who isn't into the way recruiting works in college football, that might sound like, oh, of course, he gave his word, we're done here. Uh, in football, that means nothing. And coaches continue to recruit players that are committed. Uh, in baseball, that gentleman's agreement has shown some cracks over the last few years. And there are a lot of coaches right now that are wondering, is this going to be the ultimate breaking point that turns baseball recruiting into football recruiting? And that's significant because, you know, right, right now the, they're wondering that because if you're committing a kid and, you know, off of a live stream effectively, and, you know, he commits to, to school X, but school Y and Z never had an opportunity to see him play. Are they both going to go back out whenever they can go back out and just say, well, I never got to see him play. So we're going to call him anyway. Or is it going to continue with, with the way it is? And if they do, if coaches do stop respecting this gentleman's agreement, then does that finally halt the the trend of recruiting getting younger meaning players are committing to to schools at an earlier age now as underclassmen in high school would this halt that trend and the thinking would be that why would you commit a kid who's a freshman or a sophomore in high school and then have to continue recruiting that kid for three to four years as other schools call him and try to you know, flip him away from you. Why would you do that? It, it, you know, that, that that's just, just seems like an inefficient allocation of your time to a lot of people. Why bother committing him that young if all you have to do is play defense for the next three to four years before he gets to your campus? Why not just wait and you know, get the player committed as a junior or a senior? So that's something that I'm very interested in, that a lot of coaches are interested in seeing how that progresses. Uh, obviously, we're not going to know the outcome of that anytime soon. There's not going to be a meeting where they collectively say, like, okay, the gentleman's agreement is done. Uh, it probably won't even happen in at one time around the country. If it does happen, uh, it, it's just going to be a thing that people are talking about on the recruiting trail and realizing that, that it's happening. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing that has been talked about many times in the past, but you know, this may be the ultimate catalyst uh, that just the fact that there was this summer where you couldn't see players play live. And that might be enough for some coaches to say, well, I don't care that they committed him. I never got to see him. So why are we going to stop or not recruit a player uh, just because we never had the opportunity to see him? It is an interesting philosophical debate. And it's, it's almost like 
in recruiting that there's uh, that it's complicated and that there's not really any one answer that's necessarily uh, the best way to do it or the moral way to do it or the gentlemanly way to do it. I, I guess, uh, you know, it's just kind of a complicated, you know, all sarcasm aside, it's a complicated layered situation. And there, you know, sometimes when you, there, there are unintended consequences of one thing that might look like the right thing to do in, in one instance and, and isn't necessarily the right thing to do in, in another. Uh, one final thought on this piece that I have is that I would like to know way more about the sneaky covert operations to get into offices to do like internet walkthroughs. Uh, you have one coach who was quoted as saying that, you know, hit, you know, I guess I'll back up a second is various states and municipalities and campuses and, and whatever else have had different, as we all know, different lockdowns versus opening up and et cetera, et cetera. And so one coach you had talked about how they've been on a pretty, pretty strict lockdown. So to do zoom or, whatever FaceTime walkthroughs uh, that his coaches, he and his coaches have had to be uh, sneaky about it. And, and I I'd just love to know if it's like they go into the office under like the, the, under the, the cover of darkness and they wear like those like black body suits so that nobody can see them. And they have to talk really quiet. Like they get right up on the microphone like this and they talk really quietly <laughs> during the walkthroughs so nobody can hear them. You know, I just, I, I, uh, I'd, I'd love like an entire new piece about a covert walkthrough. So uh, if, if one of you coaches out there that are doing sneaky walkthroughs want to hit up Teddy again um, and give us like a blow by blow of what that looks like, I think we'd appreciate it. I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, like a lot of people, you know, coaches are, are working, like our office is technically closed at, at Baseball America. And honestly, I don't know what Durham says about like technically our ability to be in it. But I also know that I have a key. You know, so like if I want to go in, I can go in. Uh, I have not been in, honestly, in four months. But like, I, I think that there are some that, you know, it, it ranges probably from people that are just like, you know, whatever, I have a key, I can go in, I'll, I'll go in. Like, who's going to stop me to, you know, like actually know the university is being very strict. And like, if you get caught in the office, like X, Y, and Z. And, uh, you know, so yeah, it is you know, coaches, they're just like the rest of us, I guess. And yeah, the, I, I had one coach tell me that they, you know, he likes doing the the FaceTime walkthroughs for the facility. They like showing their facility off, uh, but they have to, they, he can't just go in anytime he wants. They have to, you know, make sure that they're lining them up at, at the right time of day so that they can do a couple in a row and that, you know, they're, they're going to be able to get, you know, in and out without people getting mad at them. So, you know, that's, that's the state of, of events here uh, this summer. So it's, uh, it is definitely a unique summer uh, that there is, there's no way around it, uh, that no one, there is no playbook for this. And, you know, everyone's just been kind of figuring it out on the fly. And I, I will also say before we, we put a bow on this whole thing is that, um, you know, I, I, I did hear that things have gotten better as the summer progressed. So, you know, live streams have gotten better. There, there are a lot of stories that I can, that I got told uh, about, you know, how, you know, this one time they were watching a live stream and it was just like this, a, a cell phone uh, up the first baseline and it wasn't really, really doing a very good job or, you know, it was, uh, it was an honest to God camera, but then like somebody tripped over the cord and now the camera is shooting like the concession stand and uh, you, 
the coach has to call the guy and tell him like, you got to fix the camera or just guys walking in front of cameras or any of the, anything that could go wrong on a live stream, like has gone wrong, but that as the summer has gone on, uh, you know, places are getting more comfortable and, and understanding what they need to do to produce, you know, better live streams, uh, you know, for the coaches and, and scouts that are, are trying to watch them. So uh, I, I think that is one other positive, um, you know, element of this is that, you know, early on it was dicey. It's become better uh, as, as everyone gets more reps at it. Okay, with that, we are going to uh, wrap up the uh, this edition of the Baseball America College podcast. We, uh, you know, we, we're, we're still coming at you once a week here in the middle of summer. We've got plenty of college baseball content uh, to talk about and over at the website for you to read. That's baseballamerica.com. I would encourage you uh, to check all of that out. I know everyone's excited about the big leagues coming back this week and and we are as well, but you know the the college baseball content uh, will continue uh, from Joe and myself over at baseballamerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps: Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find the podcasts. You can find the Baseball America podcast. Uh, we will be back here next week to talk some more about college baseball and whatever else comes up. want to thank Eric Wedge for joining us today. Thank you to Joe for joining me as always. And thanks to all of you for listening. I've been Teddy Cahill. We'll talk to you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.